Father, we thank you for, um, I don't want to say thank you for sin uh, or for the devastation that it has brought into this world, including death, because it's such a bitterness to it. But we do thank you that it is part of your plan. I think I heard a preacher say one time recently, I thought it was good, that that uh, given your sovereignty, that uh, sin, while sin is not good, it's good that we have sin because it's part of your larger plan of redemption and grace and the display of your love and your mercy and your grace in ways that we, we and the angels and watching creation would never know had this not happened the way it is. Still, when we personally come in contact with it, even you know, either in our own lives or in the lives of those that we that are close to us that we love dearly, it's so hard to see its devastating effect. So we thank you though for the amazing story of the Lord Jesus and his coming. It's, it's a serious problem that it required you to send your son to enter the human race and to be in that condition. You will be a human being forever from this point on. And to recognize that permanent change uh, for the second member of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus, who took on our sin and your wrath on the cross and bore it in our place and provided a way that we can be restored to you and to your original plan and reconciled with you. Um, as I like to say, you spared no expense in reconciling us to yourself. You know what an amazing truth that is. And as we look at this text before us, as the Lord Jesus opens our eyes to the truth and we, took, we look at the transformation from being slaves to sin to sons of God, what an amazing, amazing, comforting truth that is. Help us to understand it by your Holy Spirit. I'm not adequate to bring it out. There's so much here, Father. Open our eyes and our hearts today in Jesus' name. <clears throat> you have to uh, pick what is what is wrong with the world, what would you say? Yeah, that's the Sunday school answer, right? Yeah, yeah. And you you know kind of where, where we're going with that, probably even from my prayer, what you see in the title um, there. But one thing I find interesting, you know, when you're talking to unbelievers or anybody, one I'm thing. Sorry. Power. Power, yeah. One thing, one thing that we can have in common, this is a good place to start a, a witnessing conversation with anybody, too. Uh, is um, a place of agreement, and that is that everybody agrees that something is wrong with yeah. the world. Right? I, I have never encountered anybody that says that there isn't room for improvement in the world, and in particularly the human system. You know, we talk about the world today, even though we're not talking about, like uh, Debbie just said, the the uh, beauty of creation. You know, and, and a lot, lot of really pretty flowers and style. I love that kind of thing. Whatever we saw in Florida, it's kind of fun to see some different species. Just amazed the variety of God's creation. But we're not talking about that that so much as 
uh, human society, right, and cultures and things. And we, part of the, the historical tours that we did down there, um, you know, wasn't just African descended people that were oppressed at, you know, um, at times of, you know, the times of our history, but some of the Indian uh, cultures were as well, and they of white people as well. Um, and, and then whites on whites. So in St. Augustine, one of the big part of their history is it was very strongly Catholic for a while. And there's a there's a very uh, sad story of some the French the French who had a settlement right up the road today in Jackson, what we know today as Jacksonville, uh, that was French Huguenot, right? And the Huguenots were Protestant French Protestants who came over to escape persecution, and uh, and then they, uh, they they sent an army down to kind of confront apparently uh, the Catholic armies down in St. Augustine, mainly Spanish, Spanish. okay. So it's the French versus the Spanish, but but behind that too is, is, is really the, this wasn't brought up quite as much, but I know my history enough to know that the, the, the French were predominantly Huguenot, right? They were Protestant. And when they came down, the, there was a big storm that wrecked their ships and, and the uh, um, those that survived about 200 uh, Huguenot soldiers uh, washed up there in the, in the shores and beaches of St. Augustine, and they were found by the Spanish slash Catholic uh, forces and were taken over the dunes one by one and, and forced to either convert to Catholicism or have their throats slit. And several of the guides that we, not just once, but must have been something pretty strong in historical writings, for it to be repeated this much that says that the bay there ran red with the blood for several days and it's just and that's just white on white you know european and european it's it's not you know all white people others it's 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 humanities inhumanity. inhumanity to humanity right the stronger oppressing the weaker uh, even the pecking order and then you have those who are weaker in turn pick on the weaker yet you know, you see this in school, right? You see this coming up in school. Uh, you know, you have those picked on in the kind of the really cool kids, big kids, whatever. They pick on some, they pick on others, right? You know, it's just, <laughs> it's crazy. So we, we all agree, right? Something's wrong with the world. The problem is, how do you fix it, right? And like Diana said, uh, power, lust for power. You've heard this. <clears throat> um, power corrupts, but absolute What's the, what's the rest of it? What I was thinking was, was Satan, that's what he wanted was power. And that's how it, I think, mostly he wanted power. He wanted to be, you know, in charge. Yeah. I, 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 <clears throat> I don't want to get too down that rabbit hole. But, but yes. what I'm saying yes. is, that's why I said power. Because it always, the fall plan, and today, the big bank, the major behind, I think, is power. That's why I said that. Yeah, yeah. Yep, certainly power, less power. Uh, people would say that power corrupts, but. That's your power corrupts. Is that true? No, yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we think, no, think, think, think. Does power corrupt? No. Yes, it does. Then God would be the ultimate corrupted being. Yeah, yeah. It's the, way, it's the way the power is used that, that corrupts it's the people behind it with their bad motives with the power that corrupts it. Intention. 
I, I like to see it this way. I don't think it's so much that power corrupts, but that power exposes the corruption that's already there. And the more power you're given, the more leeway, the more freedom to just do whatever you want in an un unchecked, unaccountable way. We see that with COVID, right? It's brought out a lot of little tyrants. They were there all along. It's just that they were given a little bit of power rightly or wrongly. And it's interesting to see how that power, same power in one governor and another, and how they treated it so very different. Were their people oppressed? Or were they, did they do a good job of managing a very difficult, unknown situation and, and balancing that with freedom? Or did they just go to the extreme of restricting everybody just because they could? Right? Because COVID. So, power and authority the same. We've had this discussion. I don't think they are. Although in Dean James translation does translate all authority or all power. All authority? Yeah, all authority is given to me. But you're right, I don't think it's necessary. You have to, uh, we're going to see that actually, uh, second page of your notes there. Um, with translations, into English, uh, you can't you can't necessarily draw those kinds of conclusions. That I think you have to, you know, word studies are good and they take you so far, but the words aren't in isolation. Right? Words are together and they form ideas, and then you compare scripture with scripture. And you, as you know, that's what systematic theology is all about: is building a whole system of theology based on what you read in scripture. It's very important to do that. Um, so, so based on that, though, um, you know. It's, um, yeah, I, I think there is a difference between power and authority. I don't want to get down the, down the rabbit hole with that. Uh, just a quick illustration. Uh, to, you know, a customer walks into a bank and withdraws money. A robber walks into the bank with a gun and withdraws money. It's the same act. Same result. The customer has authority. The robber has power. Hmm. Without authority, one is legitimate, the other is not. Right. So I think I think yes. Um, I think God has both. He has both the power and authority, right? And that's really what the cross is all about. Uh, you know, God isn't just forgiving sin. You know, uh, we had this discussion at the building years ago. Uh, one of the guys that came was talking about you know, God forgives and forgets, and whatever. You've heard that. Um, and there's some anthropomorphic, you know, human-like uh, language in the Old Testament makes it sound like that, uh, that God, but if he could do that, if he could just, yeah, forgive sin, why did Christ come, right? Why the sacrifice? And the answer to that is that God doesn't forget. He doesn't, he can't. He's, you know, we can actually have brain damage and have amnesia and actually really forget things. God can't do that. It's impossible for him to do that. He can't ignore the sin. He can't pretend it didn't exist, right? So his system of justice, justice, he he is he must be good. He is good. He can't be anything other than good. And so sin must be punished. Uh, and yet, he wants to forgive. He wants to reconcile. How can he do that, right? How can it be a legitimate? 
forgiveness of our sin. The only way that it can be is that the sin is punished in the substitute, right? And so now God doesn't just have the power to forgive you. He now has the legitimacy or the authority to forgive you. Both of those must be in place, right? Because God could do it. I mean, God could just say, hey, hey everybody's forgiven. Who's going to question that, right? I mean, Satan can come along, and, but then God just silences and puts him in hell, right? You know, I mean, there's, he, he, he must have both, right? He must have both. So our grace, our salvation is legitimate, which is a good thing. Because yes. if it wasn't, yes. you know, a million years from now, God could say, oh, hey, I just remembered. Oops. Diana, you shouldn't be here. Off to hell. <laughs> but it's legitimate. To the point where Paul says that God is both just and the justifier. In other words, in Christ, in Christ, for anybody who's in Christ, if God were to bring up your sin again and hold, you, hold it against you, he would be unjust for doing so. That's how strongly you would say. That's amazing. John just had a, a good uh, sermon on his podcast. He was talking about predestination and choosing and all that. Yeah. You listen to it? Yeah, uh, in the grip of God? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's good stuff. I had to listen to it twice. It's deep. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. good. It's very good. Very good. Okay. All right. So, yes. Um, what's wrong with the world today? Sin. Sin. Jesus is going to talk about that. I, we, um, <clears throat> On our trip, let me pull out my phone so I can keep an eye on time here. Um, on our trip, we encountered, we went to church on the 16th, it was last Sunday, right, um, at uh, um, First Baptist Church of Merritt Island, which, again, Space Coast, you know anything about that? Merritt Island is basically the larger island on which you find Cape Canaveral and, and all of that there. Um, <clears throat> And, uh, um, and so it's a, it's a good size church there. The executive pastor is the father of Rihanna's close friend from, from NGU. And so that's the connection there. And we, we go, last time we were there in July and then this time as well, we got to go out and eat lunch together afterwards. And coincidentally, he laughs because he's like, every time you guys show up, I'm speaking because they have a rotating pastoral staff you know, speakers, they, they're going through Genesis now, but they'll rotate. And uh, and so he happened to be speaking. And uh, he, he his, his message, I listened to it a few times, and again, that, even afterwards, because um, it was just so dead on to what we needed to hear. Um, it was really good. But he had this quote in there, and this is on top of your notes now. We're going to go through our notes, okay? Look over there. Um, entitled this, Freedom in the Sun. I, I, I thought there's a lot of really good titles you could put on this. Um, this very famous passage that Jesus quotes here. But I just went with that one. I think it's pretty simple and pretty good. But the, the quote he put up on the slides that you've probably seen before um, says, Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. You heard that? I've heard that from several preachers. I looked that up because I wanted to put that on top of our notes and uh, really fitting for, for our passage as well. And um, uh, <laughs> Robbie Zacharias has quoted that. Uh, Adrian Rogers, he, he said, Carrie, this, this 
pastor down there. He said, my, my mentor used to say this all the time, so I'm thinking it might have been Adrian Rogers, who's a, a Baptist minister that many people great. looked up to many years ago, Southern Baptist. You know, it's a good man. He is a good man. Um, <clears throat> but he, yeah, so he said that. I've heard Greg Laurie say something like this. I know you like Greg a lot. Uh, so it's a which one I'm saying. I couldn't find who it was attributed to. There's just been a number of those people that have said it over the years. But in the process of looking for it, there's some other quotes here too, which I found uh, on, a, on a website. Man, these are really good. So I put them on there too. John Piper says, preferring anything above Christ mm. is the very essence of sin. It must be fought. <clears throat> Another one, Tom Drought, I don't know who he is, but says the chains of sin are so, are too light to be felt until they are too heavy to be broken. That was really good. Another one here, uncredited. Uh, sin will surely find out the sinner. Conscience is one of its officers. The consequences of sin lay hold of the sinner. No man can escape from himself. Boy, that is so true, isn't it? And that, you know, that's the essence of the gospel, isn't it? How do you save yourself? We have a we have an illustration of bootstraps, right? Have you ever heard that? Pick yourself up by your own bootstraps? You know, you try to do that, pick myself up. How are you going to do that? You can't do that. You have to have something outside of yourself. Um, there was one exhibit we went to at a science museum where you could sit down in this chair. It was it was illustrating pulleys and how many, you know, how many pulleys, more and more pulleys, it's easier to do the weight, you know. And, and you could sit in this chair and you could lift your own weight by climbing up this rope, you know, and then there's three of them and they add more pulleys as you go along, it gets easier, right? More harder, depending on which way you're going. Um, but I thought about that. I was like, man, I'm picking myself up. And not really, because I'm using this pulley yeah, system, right? I have to have something outside of myself yeah, yeah. to do that. And I really like that quote there because it's so true. How can you escape yourself? How can you escape your own nature? You've got to have something outside of yourself. Right? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. That's right. Amen. Only God. Here's another quote, un unattributed also. Um, Sin, which brings death to the soul, is yet sweet to the taste. The more we sin, the more perverted becomes our taste the more clamorous for further indulgence. But these stolen waters of sinful pleasure are not always sweet. Pleasant though they be at first, they will become bitter indeed. The power of sin lies in its pleasure. Mm -hmm. Scripture says sin is pleasurable for a season, for a time. Proverbs talks about the stolen food or the stolen water, you know, the stolen food becomes gravel in your mouth. You know, in other words, it it, uh, it fails to live up to its promise. It's fun at first and for a while. The problem with that, that, the last one there, when it becomes bitter, it also, we're enslaved to it. We can't break that enslavement. That's, That's right. right. That's right. And I think of the hardened heart, too. When you, when you okay with sin for so long in your life, Something you're struggling with, even believers, man, it just gets you get so callous to doing the wrong thing. And I think of, of the way we look at abortion anymore or same sex marriages, we have become callous to it. It does not affect us like it should. And same thing with our personal sin that we find. When we 
continue to indulge in it little, 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 and get more and more and more, all of a sudden you have to pick up. Then you become callous. You become callous. But I mean, when you become callous, your heart becomes hardened. It's a whole lot harder for the Holy Spirit to start putting that down, start beating that down. And it takes something to jerk your feet out from under you to really, really hurt you or something before that's broken and you realize. I mean, I know that through the, the blood we are forgiven for our sins, but callous, quote, a hardened heart is it's hard. It's hard to get to. That's right. It's even hard to see. Yeah. And, and especially in your own self, see. Yeah. You can see other people. Yes, yeah. yeah, sir. I, but, that's but, right. but seeing my own sin is like, yeah. Oh, see what I'm saying? So, that's right. Exactly right. Exactly right. You know, like we're just saying to the ghost. How how do you escape yourself? Yep. The last one here, attributed to Jim Smith. This Bible will the, this Bible will keep you away from sin, or sin will keep you from God. Let's read our notes together here. From slaves of sin to sons of God. <clears throat> our concept of Slavery in 21st century America is greatly influenced by the unjust treatment of non-white peoples during the history of the European slave trade and the exploitation of slaves in many parts of the Americas. I, I try to work on that carefully because it is not an American slave trade, it was a European slave trade. Um, some, some, some of the truncated, uh, deceptive histories that we're told now make it sound like the South is the only place slavery existed. That's a bunch of fun. <laughs> All right. Um, and, and slavery, uh, yeah, so uh, many Africans participated in that. They tried to conquer another, they'd sell them off, they'd make money on selling these people off to European traders. So lots of, again, inhumanity. Man's inhumanity to man. Exploitation of slaves, and it wasn't just Africans either. There were, there were Native Americans. Uh, many of them uh, were, were enslaved at, at times, uh, in some cases. The idea of different races provided much of the justification for that brand of slavery. Pay attention carefully to the wording here. What I'm trying to say is that not all slavery is the same. Okay? This is important because the Bible talks about slavery. Jesus is going to talk about slavery here. And... When he talks about slavery, if we don't have the right biblical framework, we won't understand exactly what he means. Okay, So that's what we're trying to do here, set the stage so that we understand what Jesus means. The idea of different races provided much of the justification for that brand of slavery. Though we have abolished the institution of slavery, its philosophical foundation is still with us and serves as the premise underlying the ongoing debates about racism today. Okay? People still talk about races, different races, as if they exist. Okay? Got to be careful with that, that we're not building on the old foundation that allowed slavery to stand. I think, honestly, I think that's why we can't settle the issue is we start with the wrong premise. And that's what I say there in the last sentence. Perhaps this is why we can't seem to resolve the problem because we are starting with the wrong premise. That person is fundamentally different from me. They have a different identity because they have a different skin color or maybe their eye shape is different or their head shape is different. You know? They have 
different feature. kind of curly hair where I have straight hair or something like that. They're fundamentally different. They're fundamentally something different. That's what we mean by races, okay? Not just physical markers, physical features, like you said, um, but fundamentally different. They have a different nature than I do. That's a problem. That's a real problem. How do you explain children, by the way, who are, quote, cross race? Which one are they? It's an interesting thought. <clears throat> um, slavery has not always been like that, however. The practice is very old and certainly has many corrupted forms throughout time. So don't hear me saying that I'm condoning slavery. I'm not. Okay? And neither does the Bible. What I'm trying to do is put us in the framework of understanding slavery in the larger history of humankind, not just the last two to three hundred years. Okay? That type of slavery where justification of owning somebody permanently simply because they are a different kind than you is not characteristic or true of all slavery throughout all time. Very important, okay? And one of the big mistakes that many people make, including our children, by the way, we have to teach our children this, um, in, in reading the Bible, you can't, you gotta understand this is not just written in a Western, modern 21st century mindset, right? You have to understand what's being said in the context of the culture and the practices of the time, or you will not understand or come to wrong conclusions, or you'll be confused at best. <clears throat> so the practice is very old and certainly has many corrupted forms throughout time. So I'm not, again, not saying that all slavery was good. It, it, it wasn't. Nevertheless, in its original form, it was essentially a form of financial credit. Proverbs 22.7 has this in mind when it says, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave of the lender. You read that? You read that? It is not a prohibition against borrowing money, i.e. credit, but rather a buyer beware warning to enter into the agreement with your eyes open. Okay? It's not free money. You give up some of your freedom in exchange for it. Okay? The law given to Moses for the nation of Israel also makes clear that slavery is not, the, now watch this wording, is not the permanent ownership of a person by another person, but rather the transfer of debt and its repayment through labor. Again, it's an old system of credit. Hard for us to wrap our heads around that because today our credit is expressed through credit cards or loans, things like that, and you don't actually work for that individual, that institution or individual even necessarily. I mean, you could, right? But today, largely, credit is extended through banks and similar financial, mostly banks, right? Um, and, and, and you, you don't work for the bank necessarily to pay them back. You work for your employer and part of your labor then is goes to pay that debt off. But the fact of the matter is the principle based on Proverbs and what we read in the old Testament as well, is that you, you have given up some freedom. You don't have the choice to just spend your money on whatever you want. Part of that has to go to pay that debt back. If it doesn't, 
you are actually going to lose your freedoms, right? In one form or another. You may go to debtor's prison, right? Although today, we you, usually that, that means a forced garnish, garnishment of your wages. Uh, they will force you to pay. They'll enforce it in some way. We do have bankruptcy protection, but a lot of people think that that means, oh, I can just bail out. No, no, you can't. <laughs> You're shaking your head. That's that's correct. You, it's not a, you know, hey, free credit for me and just, you know, <clears throat> throw up this little flag and I'm, I'm good to go. No, no, there's a lot of serious consequences for that. Okay, So we do have a sophisticated way of handling this, this idea of credit today, but you know, in, in that time, before you have the system which we understand it now, if you have somebody who is destitute, they literally are homeless. You think homelessness is new? It's been around since humanity started. Okay. Often they, they talk about cave, cave people as if they're knuckle-dragging cafes. That's a dirt. No. no. These were people who maybe just didn't have anywhere else to live or maybe they just explored the cave or whatever else but i think i think i can honestly a lot of that uh, was just people in the past who needed a place to escape or like david remember david was homeless for a while he and his men because they were being pursued by saul so they lived in caves things like that um what if you don't have that what if you don't have anywhere to go imagine imagine you're a child uh early teens maybe, or, or even younger, and both your parents died. What are you going to do? That's where a lot of them go to the streets and prostitution and stuff like that. That's right. Because they, they have to make their money. So imagine, though, somebody, a wealthy person, takes pity on you and says, why don't you come and live with us? I'll provide your shelter, your food, and you in turn work for me. What's wrong with that? Right. I'm not saying that tent can't get corrupted, that the owner then sneaks into the bedroom at night and has his way with a young girl or something, right? That certainly happens and happened in history. But as a as an idea, as a concept, makes a lot of sense. In the absence of anything else, right? In the absence of all the sophisticated computerized uh, industry, industrialized and regulated. Uh, institutions like we have today, what else do you do? Otherwise, you just live on the street to die of the elements, to starve to death, to be taken advantage by robbers and other people, right? It's a humane way of doing things. Think about it. I think of the story of Michael Orr. You know who that is? Mm -hmm. He was a black fellow that the people in Tennessee picked him up. He was a kind of homeless, and he ended up they ended up, they're big Mississippi State fans. Anyway, they want him to play football. Anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then he made pro football. He worked play for the Raiders for a while. But he turned right around, and even though they were well off, they, they brought him through, bought him a truck, bought him through all this good movement anyway. But at the end, his mama, his, his biological mama, he ended up buying her house. But he also paid the toolies back. And they said, you don't have to pay us back. You're our, you're our son. He said, I owe you. It was a, it was a real, that's part of a story you don't read in there. But see, that's just one small instance that he was fortunate enough that his family saw him. That's that movie, The Blind Side. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we saw that. That's a very good movie. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's a good illustration. 
Um, so the law given to Moses for the nation of Israel, um, which, by the way, it doesn't, you know, it talks about how to handle slavery. It doesn't say, oh, you shouldn't have slavery. No, it had, it, why? Because, again, it's not based on this other godless philosophical foundation that we're used to. It's, it's a, it was a form of credit, okay? And, and so it, uh, uh, it really, literally, you're taking care of people. And you can read that when you, when you read the Old Testament, Leviticus, Numbers, Exodus, uh, Deuteronomy touches on it some. Um, but Exodus, particularly uh, 21 there, that's on your notes, okay? And Leviticus 25, those two chapters are some examples of this. Uh, Exodus 21 especially is a lot to talk about slavery and, and its treatment of people. Uh, God was very careful to, to parse that and to be sure that, uh, that while slaves were, while you weren't just saying, well, okay, forget the debt. You know, slaves were to pay it back, but they were to be treated humanely too. And it, there are provisions in the law, especially the year of Jubilee. Okay? And every seventh year, the Jubilee happened every 50th year. Every seventh year, six years, if, if a Jew uh, was a slave of another Jew, he was to work six years and pay it off. By the seventh year, whatever remained was forgiven. Okay, so there's a lot of forgiveness in the law of Moses for these debts. Okay, and the point is, you know, to try to strike a balance between, you know, those who have extended the credit and are owed, legitimately owed this money or this return, right, uh, versus just turning people out who might otherwise be destitute, right? Okay. All right. So um, the law of Moses for the nation of Israel also makes clear that slavery is not a permanent ownership of a person by another person, but rather the transfer of debt and its repayment through labor. And I give you some examples to look at it on your own there. Again, Exodus 21, Leviticus 25, 39 through 42 for some examples, especially notice the year of Jubilee. I don't think Jubilee is mentioned in those passages, but you can study that on your own. Okay. That brand of slavery, and I'm trying to draw distinctions now, right? Because it's not, again, all slavery is not monolithic. You know, we're not monochromatic. The world is complicated. History is complicated. Okay? So this particular brand of slavery, that is the, the, the kind that the Bible talks about, right, um, was a humane way to deal with the problem of destitution, which should, should fall which would fall on certain people at times. The, the, the Jews, probably getting this from their own law because that's kind of a phraseology, but they would summarize destitution with a, a, a metaphor of talking about widows and orphans. You hear that a lot, right? Even in the New Testament, particularly James, which is a very Jewish-oriented, wisdom-oriented kind of book, okay? He talks a lot in James about the widows and orphans, right? And, and being kind to them and so on. He doesn't just mean to limit it only to widows and orphans. It's just that they are an example of the underlying principle of somebody who is truly destitute, who has a genuine need and needs help, okay? Needs shelter, needs clothing, food, whatever, right? And in exchange for that, then, there is to be a, a service back, some kind of rendering back, if it's possible, right? So they would express that as widows and orphans. You hear that a lot. You know? 
widows and orphans, um, because those were, you know, kind of probably your two biggest classes of, of people. Uh, women uh, didn't necessarily have careers and so on, and hired into corporations thanks today like, like they can today. Even today, Dorian, I've talked a lot about this. She, she works with a lot of single women who are, who are older who still, you know, something about being married like that that's it's very good for, for, for both, right? But this, particularly for women who are on their own divorced today, even with you know, our, our liberated society with all the career options open to women, still it's very hard. It's hard for single men too, but for single mothers particularly, they struggle a lot financially. <clears throat> And we in the church, by the way, are not called to, to slavery, right? But to, in the name of Christ, to, to love people. But I do think, you know, even in this church, we've had, we've had occasions where some people just had a, a season where they went through. Um, I'm thinking of several examples right now. Um, people that we knew of who had genuine need. Right? That's the first thing as leaders that we try to do is make sure there's a genuine need there. Not just, you know, your responsibility. Sit down and talk to them. Look at the finances, okay, yeah, you're between jobs, okay, all right, and I see you're responsible. And we have given money to people, we have, and 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 done that. Um, <clears throat> in one case, uh, there was some labor done uh, on, you know, in return to the church uh, from able-bodied you know, man who needed it. Uh, another case, uh, we didn't ask for anything in return necessarily. There's another brother uh, and, and sister, a, a couple that we know uh, that, that needed it at that time. In our text, Jesus draws on this understanding of slavery to talk about the ownership of a person by sin. This is what he has in mind when he says in verse 35 that a slave's relationship to the house, pay attention now, a slave's relationship to the house is not permanent, but a son's is. The difference is that the slave owes the house but the son owns the house. Do that. Very important you understand this. So it's a beautiful statement that Jesus makes there. And when you really fully understand it, it really becomes beautiful. Let me read that sentence again. The difference is that the slave owes the house, but a son owns the house. What a beautiful image of the translation of the disciple of Jesus from slave of sin to son of God. We'll see this doctrine of the transfer of our ownership in chapter 10 when Jesus talks about himself as the door for the sheep and as the good shepherd who lays down his life that they might live, offering his life as payment for their debts. You think that the illustration of the sheep is all about people being dumb? You've missed the point. It's all about ownership. We'll see that heavily when we get to chapter 10. But this principle that he's going to touch on here in chapter 8 is expanded greatly over chapter 10. All right. We'll save this next part <clears throat> for next time. Uh, they abide in the Gospel of John. Uh, before we close out, um, I see that my alarm got turned off for vacation. <laughs> oh, well, that means we have lots of time, right? So we'll save the section uh, and abide um, because our text does touch on abide. We've, we've already encountered this word. You may not necessarily recognize it when you see it, though, because like I said a minute ago, this is one of those examples where a word study is helpful 
but you, you got to be careful in translation. I've learned, I'm a, I've been learning this too, but by the way, this is a helpful Bible study tip, okay, is uh, our prepositions in English are very, very specific. Okay, you know what a preposition is, right? Okay. Sabrina, we've been talking about <clears throat> English classes recently on vacation. And she was talking about the Hosgill illustration. One of her teachers taught her uh, a preposition is anything you can do with a cloud. You can go through it, under it, above it, uh, around it, uh, um, in it, out of it, you know, toward it, away from it. Okay, all of those those words that express direction between you or, or something else and something else, right? Between two two objects, uh, those are those are prepositions, and you got to be careful with that because. Uh, in, in our English, it, Greek and Hebrew are just not that specific with their prepositions, and so different translations will will translate things differently. Man, it can really change it drastically. I'll try to point that out to you when we encounter those. Um, <clears throat> so just be open to the fact that even your English translation, the preposition may have gotten it wrong, uh, or not fully, maybe not wrong, but not as maybe expressive as just a different preposition would change the meaning quite a bit, okay? Um, anyway, all of that's to say that the word abide in Greek, that word uh, appears many times in John. I, I'm just amazed at how many times it's appearing. But we'll deal with that next time. And that's all on the back side of your notes there. Uh, 33 times that, that Greek word shows up in John, whereas it appears only 11 times. And watch this now. You with me? Okay. It appears only 11 times in the other three Gospels combined. Okay, So it's an importance. It's like the word world. Remember, world shows up many times in John. This word abide, that's translated abide, it can also be translated remain or remained, remains, staying, endured. All of those words uh, shows up 33 times. That's, that's a lot. So it's important. So we'll talk about that next time. I want to read our text, though, because... Um, we are here to read the word <clears throat> So let's read <clears throat> where we are. Uh, let's start with, with uh, verse 30, because that kind of gives us a, a, run, a run at this. Um, As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Okay? And our text here is verses uh, 31 uh, through 36. And I, I thought about including 37 and 38, but I think they go better with with 39 following, so we're, we're going to break it up that way, okay? Um, so our text is 31 through 36. Uh, so many, as Jesus was saying these things, things that we've been look, looking, that he's, being, he's going to be lifted up, right? And I do not speak of my own authority, but this is the Father has taught me. Um, and I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. 
the Son remains forever. So, if the Son sets you free, you will be free. Okay. All right, any thoughts as we go? Questions? It's a lot to take in. And hopefully, as, as we read that, maybe the, a little bit of the background of, of slavery that we talked about can, can, can begin to play and open your eyes to it. <clears throat> if you're talking about a transfer of death, their response makes a lot more sense. Okay, let's, uh, let's close with that. <clears throat> Father, we, we thank you. We rejoice that, that we are free. But freedom is not the freedom to do what we want, real freedom, but to do what is right. And so we thank you that we are free in the truth because true freedom has now, the truth has freed us to know what is right, to have the peace um, that we lacked before, to have the hope that we lacked before, to experience your joy, and to, to have peace with God. I love what Paul says after talking about this problem of sin in the world and its devastation, and, and both now and the wrath of God presently, in temporal wrath of God in, in chapter 1, and then eternal wrath of God coming for for those who are righteous in their own eyes, like the Jews in chapter 2, after talking about all that and sin's devastation, and then and then the, the righteousness of God uh, revealed in the gospel and, and available to all who believe uh, uh, without any difference between Jew and Gentile. After talking about all that, the first thing in the, in the, lineup, the lineup of benefits is therefore we have peace with God. We thank you that there is no condemnation but we have peace with you now. That this problem of sin that is prevalent, not just out there in the world today, but especially in our own lives, and is so devastating to our, our, own, our own walk with our own character as we, as we live moment by moment in our lives, devastating to the relationships in our families, and devastating to the relationships in our, in our workforce as we go to work, uh, and in our marriages, uh, this sin problem, which is then played out in, in like a <clears throat> like a giant avalanche, just ripples throughout the world and and, and exhibits itself, uh, even as we see in the Middle East and other places right now, with with uh, people fighting and killing one another and and harming each other's property and, and things like that and violence everywhere. Um, verbal as well as physical and emotional and sexual violence and exploitation of, of weaker people, children particularly, abortion and all those things we've been talking about. As we look at there, we, we survey the landscape outside and within, we thank you for your promise for the gospel, which says that you not only have the power but also the authority and you have taken action and are taking action to reconcile everything to yourself. There was, there is coming a day in which it will be finished. And you will restore the world back to what you intended it to be. 
And I thank you that that process begins with us. We are part of the new creation. We're the first things to be created in this new creation. We thank you for that. Thank you for this gospel. I thank you for the son who sets us free. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen.